Welcome to the True Sight Podcast by Oracle's Elixir, your source for in-depth analytical coverage of professional League of Legends and the rest of the esports world. I'm Tim Magic Sevenhusen. Today, we're diving into the North American amateur scene with a pair of guests. Let's start with you, Cubby. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and how you're involved in NA Amateur? Hey, guys. I'm Matt Cubby Samuelson. Uh, originally, I started, actually co-founded the first D1 varsity esports program at Miami University, Ohio back in 2016. Uh, coached the team there, got a full-time job. I was cut to part-time due to COVID, so I'm back as a cover caster, uh, and it's been really fun kind of paying attention to both scouting grounds last year and now proving grounds this year. Great. And uh, Prussian, you've been on the show before, but for anyone who didn't catch the episode that you were on, uh, why don't you give people an idea of, of uh, who you are in the space where you're coming from? Uh, my name's uh, Christopher Tro, uh, also known as Prussian. Uh, I work as an analyst in the North American amateur scene, uh, currently on Wildcard Gaming, formerly Radiance, and I sometimes make YouTube videos too. And you can check out my YouTube channel at uh, Prussian Law. Awesome. Yeah, Prussian does some great content. Cubby has been on yes. uh, on a lot of the broadcasts. So these guys are both really good people to follow, and we'll make sure that socials and, and so on for them are, are in the show notes. Uh, if you're not familiar with their work already. But we've got, you know, I think a lot more that we could discuss about any amateur than we're going to have time for today. So why don't we just jump into it, talk about some of the, the things that are going on. We just wrapped up uh, a few days ago the, the Risen uh, tournament, the first of the Tier 2 tournaments for spring, um, and launching into the next one right away with Big League. But looking back at the one that's already finished, uh, Cubby, from you, what, what would you say was the biggest storyline of the Risen tournament to you? What's, if, if people didn't watch it, what's like the one thing that they really need to take away? Yeah, I, I think that the, at least like the biggest storyline for me is I think coming in, everyone kind of looked at the rosters of a new Sol Fide and somewhat Barrage and were like, these teams are going to wipe the floor with Amateur. And if there's one thing that we learned from Risen, that is far from the case. Uh, I think Sol Fide is beatable. Uh, the person next to me beat them 2-0, uh, <laughs> which, which is pretty cool as well. Um they had to win two five-game sets in order to, you know, win Risen as a whole. And I, I think that, like, looking forward and looking at the next tournaments that we have, I think that not only is Amateur going to be competitive, but I also think that some of the top teams are going to be really competitive against the bottom of Academy as well. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. Like, and I think that's the big takeaway I had from Risen, is that it's going to be closely contested. Yeah, and I think that the individual skill level between the players, I think people often come into this, especially when there's a level of familiarity with certain players and non-familiarity with others, you know, the, the players that they haven't watched play before, and they just assume, like, oh, Zazel's on that team, nobody was ever going to stand up to them at all, or, you know, Fnatic is on this other team, whatever, I've, I've seen him play, you know, who's this other guy and what's he going to do about it? And having mm -hmm. the actual ability for these amateur teams to come in, you know, up, made up of players that most NA fans have never watched before and be able to actually take games off them and play on a similar level. Yeah. You know, I think that's that's a great a, a great storyline for NA amateur and its potential to, you know, promote players up into the uh, into the rest of the scene. Uh, yeah. Question, what about for you? What what's what's your biggest storyline? Um, I have to agree with Matt for the most part, Cubby. Uh, so I'm thinking. All the eyes are on Solo Fide, uh, especially after the performance as not academy team during the cup tournament and over the preseason. Uh, they absolutely smashed that tournament. They only had one or maybe they had they dropped, two games taken they off They dropped them. two games, yeah. Okay, yeah, they dropped two games. I think one was to Mirage and the other one, maybe it wasn't Mirage, but they dropped one game in semis and they lost one of the finals to Cloud9 Amateur. 
And uh, going into Risen, we thought that this team would be absolutely unbeatable. And they dropped several games, and they didn't look as impervious as we first thought. Do you think how much of that do you guys think was due to the way Solafito were playing versus the actual quality difference? Because I think people, especially if they just look at the results of this and see the drafts and so on, and they see Viper playing Vayne top and all that kind of stuff, I think you could be forgiven for coming in and saying, "Oh, Solafide might be you know styling a little bit, maybe even trolling a little bit, and they're a lot better than they like." Is that the case, or or is it just an actual level of play? Um... I yeah, I'm I'm gonna default to the person that that beat him 2-0. <laughs> so I will have to tell you that uh, Solofi doesn't have Viper. <laughs> Viper is on a new, so Sorry. they had Dokla. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, they didn't play the main top. Um, I would say, from a personal perspective, how we beat Solofide was a very good mix of good preparation. I think went into it. I guess that kind of makes it sound like, oh, I beat Solofide, or oh, I had a really big hand in it. I don't think that's the case, but I think we did our homework uh, and we showed up to play and I think our players played amazing. And I think that that roster that we were playing with at the time was probably top five amateur. Uh, I don't think that we can knock Solofide down for dropping games, but I definitely think that uh, they're just not as impervious. And I think that the gap isn't as big as we once thought. Yeah, I think that's and, that's the hopeful, like that's the angle that you you want to see, right? Like you want it to be that not that the favored team is is not taking things seriously. You want it to actually be that they deserved to be beaten and they and they actually were, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I I think as well, like with Solafide, I mean, like we got we talked to or I talked to Apollo like before the semis to just kind of like you know prep some storyline like stuff we could run for the broadcast, and and he said he's like you know like. We, they forced us to like clean up our level one. Like it was bad. You guys punished them really hard for it. Um, but I also think like with Solafide, like, I, I mean, the, the first thing that draws your eye is Apollo Zazel, right? Because mm-hmm. I think Apollo is like the journeyman of LCS. I mean, that guy has been in LCS as a consistent, uh, you know, mid tier performing AD carry since 2013. I think he only like hopped out once uh, to like go play amateur, right? Um, you look at Zazel. Zazel is still the best player on the rift that we have an amateur, in my opinion. I mean, that that guy's still crazy. Um, but you look at like the rest of the roster, and I think that Tuesday has been performing well, um, but he doesn't get out of lane that well. And also, like Winston's still a very young jungler, and I think that jungles have a really important role right now. Winston still has a lot to learn and work on, and there are junglers that are better than Winston uh, that can punish him and did punish him throughout the tournament. So uh, I, I think that they like they aren't unbeatable uh and i think that they'll get better and start to improve on their gameplay the individual mechanics are obviously there um but there are also some really talented up and coming amateur talent that we have as well that has been taking it to them yeah and i'd say like for for Doklas part too uh his play in, in academy was i thought pretty decent uh mm-hmm. he he looked pretty strong last year playing with i believe it was with TSM Academy um, yeah, with Winston as his jungler. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and those guys, yeah. you know, I think they didn't come down here as like, I, to me, like, oh, the rejects of Academy who couldn't who couldn't cut it. You know, I think 
uh, a lot of the academy teams went in a lot of different directions and some of the players who kind of fell out of academy it wasn't necessarily because they weren't good enough on an individual level it's just you know whether it's uh the way things shuffle around with rosters you always get some good players left out and and to have those yeah. guys come down here and get matched by players who who are trying to come up from the amateur scene uh i think i think that's great to see but i, I think it also the results that we've seen also tell a, a pretty good story about the importance of a team's quality as opposed to just putting five you know the five best players together and thinking mm-hmm. that they're going to be the best team right uh you can have five strong individual players who get beaten by a team of five weaker individual players who know how to work better as a team uh how how much have you guys seen that kind of strength of team quality or or the ability of a team to prepare well together uh lead to results that you might not have expected just if you turn on the nameplates and ran them down yeah i i think I, like wildcard obviously beat them as exhibit a right they had a few extra days to prep and really cashed in on that um i think exhibit b would be egp um just the fact that they made it to finals they took them to five games um and i say this to not take anything away from the players because everyone's very talented on that roster but if you stack up that roster against Solafide, i don't know if there's anyone that's like individually straight up better than anyone in Solafide. whereas like barrage i think i think fanatic is a crazy player um and and i would definitely take him over winston uh at least but i they play really well as a team they definitely are benefiting from the fact that they have been playing as a team longer um and i think that's one of the reasons that they perform so well and like in risen they just have more built-in synergy already but uh they're able to play they're one of the few teams in amateur that i see that are actually able to play to multiple lanes uh and i think that's really something that is important when a team has the flexibility to do that and can really throw other teams for a loop uh, in games. And they're, they're definitely showing that so far. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what are some other teams, you know, I think EGP as, as one of the teams that has really impressed, and we can talk a little mm-hmm. bit more about them in a bit, but, you know, did you guys consider them to be a surprise? Were there other teams that really surprised you at, at Risen? Uh, I don't think EGP surprised me that much personally. Uh, how getting as far as they did, I think was maybe a surprise. Um, as far as teams that surprised me, uh, are we speaking strictly in a positive sense or in a negative sense too? I mean, that's up to you. I I, I was fishing for positive, but you've got uh, negative surprises. I think that's obviously here comes a new. Hit me with that, Cubby. Uh, a news main team. Um, they dropped out in quarters and everyone looked at that roster and said, oh my goodness, Onda plus five fire, like and myself included. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, once again, I do not know what either of those players are doing down here in amateur, right? I thought Onda was the best jungler that we had in the Academy. It was LCS ready. I think five fire has been like, he is the king of amateur, right? He's the two time repeating champ. Uh, and to watch him go two and ten in game four and drop to a new boys was, I I think caught everyone off guard. Um, and we were talking about it a little bit beforehand. They were running these crazy comps where they're trying to get ten k gold up in fifteen minutes. And when you run vein top into a lot of the top pointers, you're as viper, you're able to gap them. But not Alorum, uh, who has always been the weak side king. Uh, and that that really came back to bite the new main main squad. Um, and they're definitely the big disappointment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm inclined to agree. Another one that comes to mind is maybe one of the thieves next, or even Cloud9 Amateur, who just kind of fell on their face. Uh, one that I definitely think was surprising in the positive sense was uh, Winthrop. I think that yeah. that bottom side is absolutely insane. 
Doxa, uh, Saskio, and Sir Kenshi, that is a winning combination. And while hybrids and uh, Frost Wars, maybe, I, I perceive Frost Wars as maybe a role player, and uh, hybrids still has uh, a few ways to get back because I know he took a break from amateur. Uh, he was pretty solid top player before, but uh, he still has some of those pains getting back in. Uh, but overall, very surprised with their performance because I thought they played very well throughout the recent mm-hmm. event. Yeah, to what extent, like, I think there there are a few kind of college teams that uh, are kind of breaking into those ranks. We've seen that in the past, right? Like, there, there are a few kind of college and university teams that, that have come in and, and competed with the best of amateur. Do you think that that trend is continuing to move? Like, are the, are the collegiate teams continuing to grow and improve relative to the amateur teams? Or do you think that's going to fall off more over time? Yeah, uh, I can definitely speak on this just because like I was a student director for the program at Miami and then I actually uh, am the coach of the team this year as well. So I've been like sitting in on a lot of collegiate scrims. Um, Maryville is the asterisk. Uh, That that program is run like um, Duke runs a basketball program. Right. I mean, those those kids are there to play the game and, and then go to school. Uh, and the staff that they have around them are incredible. And I'm sure as we get to like talking about big a little bit later, we will be talking about Maryville because they were a team that was missing and has instantly stated that they are a top five team uh, in SGC or proving grounds, I should say. Um, but I think that other universities have a long way to go. Uh, the unique part about Maryville is that the tough part about collegiate is that you have to play with the hand that you're dealt for the year, just given the student base that you have. Maryville is an exception because they get full rides and they they do a really good job of scouting and recruiting. Um, I, I I think that it's really difficult to convince the administrations of big schools to like actually fund this when they have football and basketball on the table. Yeah. Um, and Maryville is a great example of what happens when you get talented people and administration that buys in and look at what they've done. Um, it, it's 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 been really cool to see. So I think there's still an exception. I think there's room for collegiate to grow. Uh, I think it's great that we see some of the collegiate teams competing at a really high level. Um, not only Winthrop, but I believe also Wichita, Bay State, Illinois State University all competed. And I know with some teams from scrims that I'd consider better than those teams that were not involved. Um, so collegiate's in a good spot. I, I still think amateur is the best way to go path to pro because if you're good enough at League of Legends and you're 17, you can just go play pro. Uh, it's not like basketball where you have to go spend a year at university and then get drafted. So, um, but that said, it's it's really good seeing the collegiate programs compete. Um, and Maryville is going to be scary this year. Yeah, and, and uh, for anyone who who doesn't know their their roster, who's playing for Maryville this year? Chippies. We have Chippies. We have Odd Orange. We have uh, Wolfie still in the mid lane, and then it's Evan RL who got promoted from the B team, and then Shady who is still there. Um, and Evan RL has been in collegiate for a long time, a uh, very very seasoned player and the most consistent performer from Supernova as well uh, from SGC in the last split. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on all of them. Uh, speaking kind of still on on the topic of I guess surprises or maybe not so much surprises, but just like people who have impressed so far who are some of the players during the risen tournament who i think you know we, we talked about some of the names that you would have expected to see performing mm-hmm. well and 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 showing up and some of them that maybe didn't perform to what we'd expect were there any players you know one or two players who really jumped out and and kind of like caught your notice who you hadn't been paying as much attention to before um one that uh i alluded to before i think sir kenji is very good at some uh uh 
areas that I think a lot of support struggle with. Uh, obviously, we always talk about shading when we uh, talk about map movements as supports in amateur, but I think Sir Kenji is right there with him. I think maybe his laning and mechanics leave a little bit to, to be desired, but I think generally the, the way he finds these angles to uh, create realm timers or just execute with Shross uh, Force is something to be admired for uh, from supports, which we traditionally regard as being one of the uh, lower rated roles in amateur. Um, the other one, uh, <laughs> just have to throw it out here, is Trickster, because I thought Trickster is a mm -hmm. absolutely incredible player. He played insane throughout Risen, and uh, you can't knock anything off him from a gameplay perspective. Absolutely incredible player. Yeah, Trickster was unknown. Know. Yeah, he was unknown and like really, really performed well. Um, I think Gorka and Winter as a bot lane have actually been playing really well um barrage they love the team fight they feed gorica everything and they he makes a payoff um and winter is definitely the primary engage role on that team um sometimes he still has the propensity to have some tough engages but uh he's also had some games where he just straight up carried barrage uh with his play um especially on the nautilus alistar just really doing a good job of, of setting things up for his team and i'm really thinking back to like game two of the semifinals where i think he went like 1-0 and 22 or just something stupid on alistar and just made he made plays happen across the map um and it's been really nice to see winter step up with his play just kind of considering like he's been known as like the gatekeeper of amateur for support like if you can't beat winter you can't move up to the next level and i think winter's making a case that he might you know still need to be considered to move up to the next level as well um yeah, Other I think player, that, yeah. Sorry, I don't have ahead. anyone else. That, no, yeah. I, I really don't have anyone else. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, I think that brings up kind of the, this topic of, you know, the the players who have been around for a little while who have had some experience at different levels, whether that's a lot of experience in amateur or they played a little bit in academy or in some cases even had some time in LCS or a lot of time in LCS. If we're talking about Apollo and Zazel, but mm -hmm. you know, the the potential of those players to come down to amateur to compete well to stomp the people around them and, you know, earn another shot back because I think it's a topic that has, that has been relevant recently. And I think continues to always be relevant in, in esports compared to, I think the, the talent development curve that we get in traditional sports where there's much more of a physical curve to it, I would say um, mm -hmm. where you get the players and, you know, they're, they're coming up as teens in their early twenties and then they kind of fall off and you go, okay, maybe their, their body's not going to be able to keep up anymore. Whereas mm -hmm. I would say the development curve in esports is much less of a smooth kind of curve. It's much more likely that with a different style of coaching or maybe a, a, a fresh mindset or maybe some time away and coming back to the game, it's much more likely that these players who have been around before can find back a new peak that they haven't been to before. Uh, and, and I think some of the players you guys are mentioning here are examples of that who shouldn't just be kind of they might not be considered for you know if, if you're making a list of like fresh new faces to be excited about they're maybe not a fresh new face anymore but that doesn't mean that they're not somebody who isn't still worth you know bringing up into an academy team and seeing if you can get them to a new level that they haven't reached before uh and, and i think we've got quite a few of those players uh in the scene right now that we're especially yeah. as we get closer to the actual proving grounds tournament and face them off against the the academy teams We'll see if there, you know, how many of those there are. I mean, Shoryu is an example of that playing in Academy this year who who was up there, went back down, needed some time away, and now he's trying to kind of find another peak again, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, yeah, I think there are a bunch of those, but there are also a bunch of kind of brand new players uh, that you guys have, have mentioned. And some of those are playing for 
the uh, for the LCS backed organizations. And I think those are the ones that that a lot of people are going to default if they're just coming into amateur, and they want to know which teams should they be interested in or how are these teams doing. You're going to talk about EG Prodigies. You're going to talk about CNN Amateur Hundred Thieves next. Overall, how has that group of teams been doing, uh, Prussian in in amateur scene so far? Uh, I think uh, those three LCS back teams specifically have been pretty much falling on their face. Uh, not EGP though, they're the exception, obviously. Um, yeah. But those two, Cloud9 Winter Thieves, uh, we can't, I don't think that we can hold them under the same lens as we hold other amateur teams since uh, we can't necessarily interpret just, oh, this team lost, uh, they're failing as uh, something that's accurate because these teams aren't necessarily built with the intention of succeeding right away. But as far as what we're seeing, even uh, development-wise, I think 100 Thieves and uh, Cloud9 specifically with the whole Tempo's debacle not meeting the strides that uh, I would like to see as far as development of players goes. I I will say that for 100 Thieves, um, and like as a little bit of background, like I, I was actually the project manager like for that announcement video, um, and I got to talk to like all the players and the staff there. Uh, the average age of that team is under 18. They are hands down the youngest team that we have uh, in amateur, and it is not close. Um, and that was definitely a goal of the organization, right? Because if you're 100 Thieves, you can kind of treat this as a double-A baseball team, right? Um, we're going to try and develop talents and call them up. And if you look at 100 Thieves in the past year, 100 Thieves Next was a huge success uh, in 2020. They got every single one of their players promoted, except for their coach that had come in and play. And he, you know, managed to get all of his players promoted. I, I, I don't think you can really uh, like say any more, like any more good things about Fallen Bandit. Like they, you or not enough good things about Fallen Bandit and the work that he did. Um, they're also dealing with role swap. Uh, Busio is going from mid and he would have been a mid laner that I was actually very excited about. Uh, he was very talented young player for being his age. Now he's going to support. Uh, that team's going to need time. Uh, that they, they are not going to figure things out, and at least credit to Hundred Thieves, they are sticking to the fact that they are going to try and develop that talent. And if you think back to the roster with Tenacity Kenby, who I think many of us who have paid attention to the amateur think that they're the future of that organization, um, they didn't do well in their first split of UPL, where they had Poom and Auto was still on AD. Um, so I, I still have faith that they like might be able to figure it out. Obviously, their performance in Risen and Big has a lot to be desired, but uh, they're at least buying into developing talent in time. C9 Amateur uh, is, for me, is a totally different situation because due to poor scouting, and if they would have done their homework and asked anyone in the scene, we would have let them know that, uh, hey, you should probably go with Breezy instead of Tempo, so that's your plan. Um, they let a player go who left school, like left scholarship within three weeks and didn't commit to the development of that player. Now, I don't think anyone here is arguing that Breezy is better than Tempos. We're all very happy for Breezy for the opportunity. He is a great player that definitely deserves that. But we're all frustrated the fact that we have a big org that did not to commit to the development of a player when they said they would. And then we, you know, they act like the way that I would expect an NA amateur org to act uh, on, on Twitter when defending it. So that was really disappointing for me. Uh, and they, for me, that like they are the kind of the failure so far. And I know they've played a lot better, but um, yeah, I, I've, it, it's been really disappointing to see. 
Yeah, and I think that that brings up some larger topics about NA Amateur in general and like the the infrastructure around it and the stability of the scene. And it really seems like coming into this year, one of the big goals for for the LCS in, in instituting this new amateur infrastructure was we want to bring in a little more uh, structure. We want to bring in a little more stability. I mean, for lack of a better term, professionalism in a way that, you know, here's a, a defined like set of official tournaments to play through. Here's how you earn your way up to this next level, all that kind of stuff. Um, even some things around player contracting. I don't know. There's not, doesn't seem like there's a whole lot, but there's a little bit that they seem to be at least interested in, in being involved. And, you know, and, and, and the idea is they want to try to deal with these very frequent amateur issues where, there are disputes between teams and players. Teams are breaking up all the time and reforming in different ways. You know, these little constellations of players kind of moving all over the place. And especially, I think you would imagine that for the LCS-backed orgs, you would see a lot more of these long-term commitments in, in projects, which, I mean, with certain cases, you know, as you mentioned, uh, with Tempos being dropped already, that's uh, the rest of them, I think, does look like so far they are at least, you know, trying to be a little more stable, but it's also just so early in the year that you can't really make a claim on that yet. But but you would mm -hmm. hope that the LCS back teams are going to have the longer term projects where they carry players through the whole year and, and try to promote them or whatever it is, right? Um, do you think that there that there are signs that it's you know moving the right direction in terms of stability and drama, or does it just seem like the same old, same old so far? Uh, for me specifically, I think that the more that we see time go on, I think that when Harry Thieves' uh, first class uh, amateur roster is a complete anomaly. Like, we will never see another roster where uh, I don't even care about the two substitutes, uh, NXI and Auto, but uh, I think that the fact that all five players, all five of the young players uh, that went through the entire system got promoted to LCS. Uh, not LCS, but Academy, yeah, LCS okay. Academy. Uh, but I don't think, not even for EGP, can we say that all five of these players are going to go to Academy. I think that's highly unlikely, and I would call you uh, pretty much, I, I would say that's wishful thinking. Uh, yeah. When her Thieves next, the new class, uh, Cloud9 Amateur, uh, I think specifically with Cloud9, um, we are kind of seeing this remnants of uh, this idea that Cloud9 has uh, I don't know how public the information is during the offseason about uh, how they're, they act rather maybe a little disposable with their players. And I think that's how amateur rosters perceive their players to an extent in general, uh, that if uh, certain teams perceive, oh, if this one player doesn't work, it's okay. Uh, the liquidity of players is quite high, so we can just get another one, etc. Uh, same thing with, I think we're starting to see more of a shift towards uh, not exactly like it, but L, uh, LPL farm teams where you have several, several teams uh, of players that may not necessarily be signed, but they're under your organization playing in-houses with you. And you're just kind of seeing what works, what doesn't work, who works together, and you're picking those players up. Yeah, that could be interesting. And I think uh, the, the question is whether the player pool is large enough to justify that or you know, also whether the, the players who are maybe in that position are playing under a different team banner that maybe is not like a really official, you know, organization or business or anything like that, but they're, they're there and available. Like, I think we've already seen certain teams that uh, are ready to be broken up and have their players moved off somewhere else just because they were kind of biding their time, right? And that, that can happen for sure. Um, and I think amateur is always going to be less stable than obviously like an LCS level or something like that. You don't have the same kind of um, business case for locking players in all year and stuff like that. 
Um, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of balance to be found between what's good for the players, what's good for the teams, what's good for the overall ecosystem, and trying to balance all of the 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 needs of that. Um, so it's something that you know hopefully will be less dramatic and more stable as time goes on. Um, and, yeah, and be what the players need it to be, right? Yeah, I mean, like the obviously, like there there's been a lot of conversation around that when we're looking at like the baseline and like what Riot attempted to do. Proving grounds compared to scouting grounds is is a major improvement, right? Um, because of this format, we now have X talent from LCS that actually feel like it's worth it for them to come down and compete. Um, and one of the reasons that they're coming down and compete is because those contracts, like Zazel mentioned in his Inven interview, he's not he doesn't have to get locked up in a year in Academy where it's tough to promote, right? If an LCS team decides they need a support, they can go down and grab Zazel if they want to. Uh, same with Apollo. I mean, I think those guys can plug and play in LCS whenever they want. Um, so it's a way for them to, you know, keep their skills fresh. Uh, they're giving amateur great competition because they're tough to beat. Um, and it, they still can hop. And, and so I think that it's a major improvement. We also have, uh, amateur teams now much more available and ready to scrim Academy teams, which yeah. did not happen in scouting grounds. And that is also a significant major improvement. Um, and so like, like things, there are some things that are better. Um, obviously like, like with contracts and finding that, balance I, I there's a lot behind the scenes that i don't i think a lot of us are missing um and I, I i hope that like you know you're able to strike that balance between a player that you know wants to be promoted into into academy they're able to do that and get out of that with a contract but also um you know you hope that i i like to see some of these teams stick together it's more fun to yeah. write storylines for a team like egp uh who won upl and now made finals arisen where they're up against a way harder field of competition as well um, so I, I, I like the stories, I like seeing those teams stick together and yeah. obviously promotions are great. Um, but I, the roster swaps like, or like super teams are cool too, but, uh, it's fun to see those teams grow. Uh, that's like where amateur gets really fun for me yeah. written for those underdogs. And, you know, to, to continue on the, the theme a little bit of kind of the structural stuff and, and some of the, the restrictions around, you know, teams treating players as if they can be interchanged a lot and stuff like that, or other teams trying to hold on to the players and not let them leave. Right. That kind of stuff. I think something that. Um, can sometimes be missed is that you need to incentivize the organizations to invest into the scene if you want to have that long-term growth. Like you need to have some kind of system that allows Anu to spend money on the scene or allows, you know, Barrage to have a reason to exist aside from just being five players who want to play together. And mm-hmm. if and if it's too easy for the players to, to up and go and the contracts don't mean anything anymore, like if Zazel could get an offer from an LSTS team and just like without any you know, without any kind of buyout or contract discussion or anything like that, just be like, no, I'm out of here. I'm going to LCS. Then what reason does Solafide have to invest into him? Right. And I think that there have mm-hmm. to be some structures in place that incentivize the teams, even at the detriment of the players. And you have to, that's where you have to balance, right? You have to have some reason that when the teams invest money into the amateur scene, they get a return that might not be a financial return. Um, in some cases it will, but especially from the LCS org side, you know, they want to be able to have the return of we retain some contract to control this player. So if we want to keep them, we can promote them and keep them. Right. Yeah. All those kinds of things are just kind of the other side of the coin that especially when you have these very player favored kind of conversations, which are, you know, very legitimate and meaningful. But you can sometimes miss that other side of the story that if the organizations have no incentive to invest, there's nobody going to be there to pay the players to play or to recruit the players in the first place. Right. Yeah, I mean, the quick answer is, I guess we just have to find out what those developmental fees are, right? Because that that is ultimately what is really going to encourage these orgs to invest, is how much are, are they going to get for developing a player? Um, yeah, I, I don't want to use like EGP as an example, because like you figure that they're going to stay in-house, but 
um, you know, if you're a new uh, or supernova, you know, like what what do you get from Addy if he gets promoted uh, into Academy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that once those fees are like figured out and known, it's going to be much a much easier ecosystem for those orgs to navigate because like then they actually can, you know, invest in our like they know what their return on investment might be. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, speaking a little more specifically to the the LCS backed teams and the players in there, like we we already highlighted a little bit, you know, some of the maybe potential scouting failures, but I think there are also some some big successes we're seeing. I think mm-hmm. especially on the EG side, players like like Tomio, uh, players like Aspect, Serdi, uh, um, these are guys who look like they are really good pickups who might have a really good long term future ahead of them. How do, how do you guys feel, maybe Prussian, from, from your side about the overall scouting that the LCS orgs have done coming in and and maybe not picking the teams that are going to win the best, but the teams that have, have they done a fairly good job overall of picking players who have, you know, good development uh, trajectory? Uh, so EGP specifically, I have a little bit of insight on how they run things. Uh, I know the big names on the team that people immediately look at are Shiro and Tomio. Uh, Shiro, I'm familiar. I believe I don't know how long uh, Empire's known Shiro, but I know that they had a relationship mm-hmm. before EGP was established. Yep. Uh, Sturdy, that was a no-brainer. I had him. I was looking at him for probably about a year now and watching his moves really closely. Uh, Tomio, also a no-brainer. He's a big streamer. Uh, he's very mechanically talented, constantly challenger. Uh, aspect. A little bit here or there, but I think it's pretty common consensus to say that out of those uh, stack of players, Aspect is the uh, more lukewarm one, I would say. Maybe not as high. Yeah, it's a little bit... He, he's not as high, but he's being slept on, too. Like, I, I, I think agree. It's really underrated. It's the copy uh, principle. Yes, where, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, precisely. Um, I think as far as Winter Thieves and Cloud9 goes, I talked about Cloud9 a little before, uh, about how they... Uh, it was a little bit of a first come first serve and they didn't really intend for these five players to necessarily be together. And uh, we kind of are seeing the backlash of that uh, just currently with tempos and just their performance in general, they're not really working well together. And that's sort of the byproduct of the feeder system that I was explaining before. Um, there was, uh, I'm not gonna name them, but obviously we know that there's a fourth LCS affiliate team and I know that they ran in-houses with all of their players. And uh, I was involved with setting those up and vetting those. Um, and I think that that was a good process. Uh, I think that that's probably the best process that we can think of, or that at least I could think of, for players coming together. And they're performing uh, well above those other two teams, Cloud9 and the Warhead Thieves. Uh, so mm-hmm. I favor a more in-house meritocratic, maybe, process, even though uh, what we know now is that those five players weren't necessarily all chosen meritocratically. Um, yeah. Uh, with One Heart Thieves, uh, we saw the three TBA core get picked up. Uh, I think that was a pretty good uh, idea to kind of have that innate synergy altogether. But uh, at the same time, I think that losing a very big in-game leader like Otto has severely impeded the growth of these five players. And... At this point, I believe Young, Young's 19. He's the oldest player on that team. And I don't think he's necessarily ready to be an in-game leader figure. Uh, I think Gu played very well on TBA. And he isn't performing very well right now. Um, Cozy, pretty back and forth. Aselion was 
is a player that I really, really think needs an in-game leader figure. And Buzio is just not experienced enough to deliver a powerful bottom lane for 100 next. So I, I think- yeah, I, I can say though, like from talking with them, like their priority was age and making sure mm-hmm. that like they get players like fell in that age range where they wanted to develop. Uh, and also, uh, Goo, uh, Brian, uh, and then um, Busio as well. The two of them, for their age, are incredibly well spoken uh, and, and outgoing, and definitely have a lot of potential to like be leaders. Um, obviously, like role swapping is not the easiest thing. I've seen some promise out of Busio, like at least in lane. I mean, the guy is mechanically a freak. If you watched his the Blanc play from the the last split of Scouting Grounds, you will. This guy is instantly on your radar um for his the block play and like some of his other mid play um and definitely bringing that down to support is something that i think uh the the 100 thieves org is very hopeful for because as prussian mentioned before we're not that high in the support pool here in na amateur uh and if you can pull off a role swap like that i mean auto was a role swap and he ended up back on his org clg um i think it speaks a lot to you know hooks now uh like as a leader and as a person that he ends up with the same org in a new role um but if they're able to pull it off i still think that like they have a good chance for development obviously their performance has been very lackluster um but i like they're still like the initiative's still there uh i i still expect that team to improve and they have the most room to improve right like they're they're so young they've got to be the youngest team in the tournament uh not, I, I agree, but I also sort of lament for the same reason that Busio swapped to support because uh, I think that there are quite a number of supports that are actually quite mechanically good in amateur. Uh, just thinking about one, I thought Fizzy was very good mechanically. Kenji. Um, uh, yeah, Ken, well, yeah, Kenji's, I, Kenji I consider a little bit more of a cerebral player. Uh, yeah. I think Daption is very good in lane is another one, but uh, I think a bigger issue with a lot of the supports in amateur are just the fact that they have a hard time exiting lane, moving around the map. Uh, Plux is a really big example of this, where he would just walk back straight into lane a lot of the time, and it was, you just can't play like that as a sport. Like, come on. Uh, and I think Busio, uh, he's very mechanically good, mechanically exemplary, but another thing that we would always see from his mid lane play is he had a pretty difficult time breaking out of middle lane. Uh, mm-hmm. Even on these picks like LeBlanc, uh, archetypally he's known as a Cassio Oriana player, even Sendra, these champions don't really leave lane op- often. And uh, even as he transitions to support, we're seeing some of these similar issues where he's having a hard time breaking out of lane. And while I think he's definitely above the support pool mechanically, uh, he still has the same problems as a lot of the NA amateur support pool. Yeah. Yeah, and that seems like the kind of thing that you don't necessarily learn well from solo queue, for example, right? Like in solo queue, you're going to learn things like like how to how to trade well in lane, how to be mechanic, you know, use your mechanics and skirmishes and teamfights stuff like that. But but roaming is such a you know a team oriented kind of thing where you, the rest of your team needs to know how and when you're going to roam and what to do. You know, your your bot laner needs to know what to do while you're roaming and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it seems like like coaching is going to be a really big deal for helping supports learn that kind of thing, uh, and and I think that's you know to to loop back around again to the kind of the LCS org side of things. That's, that's something that you'd hope that they are investing in coaches at that level who are going to help teach these aspects of the game, um, yeah. and that are going to be a longer term project, right? Um, do you guys know much about kind of the coaching that's going on with with these teams or some of the other teams that they're competing against? Um. 
I know that last year the 100 Thieves Next team would scrim their academy team once a week. And then obviously, I think that it's pretty fair to say the Fallen Bandits had like a pretty proven track record um, of like developing talent. Um, they like specific coaching that's like going in. Uh, that's, I, I don't, Russian can definitely speak more on that. Uh, but I'm having most insight on my, the fourth team uh, where they do scrim their academy team relatively frequently. And there's a good amount of that vertical, uh, like academy coach. Uh, helps out or intervenes a little bit with the uh, amateur team. Mm-hmm. As far as Cloud9 is concerned, I would assume that it's very hands-off, uh, just judging by the whole incident, especially with Jack clearly not knowing what's happening within his own amateur team. Uh, that's not really up for debate. Um, I would say uh, EGP, obviously a lot of vertical movement between academy and amateur, where uh Empire is, you know, he's all he's in all the discords. He's always mm-hmm. checking out his uh, amateur team and amateur perspective. Uh, Peter Dunn as well is very interesting. Yes, yes. Well, and, and, and EG also just announced the other day that they've hired Kelsey Moser as a, yes. a director. It's a little unclear what her role is, I think, from the outside. Just we, we only know the job title, but some form of player development and infrastructure development around their kind of... It mentions collegiate in her new job title. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, you know, EG have done some things in the collegiate space, so like seminars or stuff like that. But of, of course, you know, with their amateur players and so on, and very obviously talent development oriented. So they've added that in as kind of maybe not direct it's it's kind of parallel coaching not direct team coaching maybe but um, yeah been building out their infrastructure there too i mean looking at like their off-season decisions like bringing in peter dunn who i think has made six rosters that have made worlds <laughs> um i and then kelsey who i mean i she has her ears to the ground way more than people like realize uh if you're like not in the space i mean she might be one she is one of the most knowledgeable people about any amateur and when you look at her tenure as well with 100 thieves i mean that academy team was killer and she's definitely responsible for the development of a lot of the players that you see on 100 thieves right now that are on that academy team and are performing very well and Um, if you want to talk about 100 thieves next last year and the roster like she was involved on the amateur level and at least some you know to some degree so i think yeah one thing that i'm kind of as as a uh, quick tangent one one thing i'm curious about the 100 thieves is what happens with their academy and amateur programs without her involved and whether they can keep up the momentum i obviously hope they can um, yeah they do have kind of a rookie head coach for their amateur their academy team sorry now so mm-hmm. i'm curious there I, I i guess like we'll have to find out uh but definitely credit to eg for like because like they brought in some heavy hitters that have a good reputation of developing talent um and i think egp already like i know that roster was like it was a pretty watered down split of amateur like in the winter where they won upl um and then placed well in the risen as well but now that like the competition's there the fact they're still performing at a very high level i think speaks really highly because i know that coming into this split i was like well i know like egp won but like now we have like solafide coming in like a new coming on in like where are they going to place and like you know all these teams and they're still placing really well um so i i think it's been very impressive uh, not only do I agree, I think, I don't know, uh, I, amateur super team, uh, as far as staff is concerned for evil geniuses without a doubt, uh, just speaking about Peter Dunn too, uh, I know he watches so many ERLs, I've chatted with him, he, he watches so many ERLs, I can talk to him about Deflex, Viteo, uh, oh, I can speak man. to him about Pretty, uh, like all of these players Peter Dunn has, has on his radar, uh, Mad Lions, they scouted like a 16 year old, uh, He's a, I don't know what his second nationality is, but I think he was uh, born in China and 
Uh, he currently lives somewhere in Europe, uh, Peng, for their, uh, it was either their academy or their, uh, their amateur roster. Uh, he's a 1000 LP uh, mid laner who plays on EU West and he's not very good yet, but he he's 16 years old. He definitely has that kind of potential. He, he like, Peter Dunn follows like every week. Yeah, it's, <laughs> like, it's not like it, like it's not just ERLs. It's like it, it's literally everything. It's 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 crazy. Um, and so yeah, I mean, if if you want to develop talent, bringing in Peter Dunn, Kelsey Moser, that's a pretty good start. Uh, and obviously, I think that you know how their amateur team is performing at the moment speaks for itself. And I have some decently high hopes for their academy team too. I think they're top four for sure. Yeah, I think that there's going to be a, a lot of excitement there, and and especially seeing. Um, I'm very interested to see whether there's any movement between amateur and academy, especially going into the second half of the year after the first proving guard cycle is done, anything like that. Um, moving on a little bit to the other side of the coin, like we have these rosters that are pure development focused, that are you know very young, very inexperienced players mostly. Uh, but we also have these rosters, and we've spoken a little bit about them uh, already, but these rosters that are a little bit more like you know proven commodities and amateur who are trying to make, take the next step. Uh, we have Solifidia, we have a new... Um, we have barrage uh, teams that are more here to to win, right? They're here to prove themselves by winning these tournaments. Where I'd say you'd look at EGP or CNN Amateur and so on, and they, their measure of success wouldn't really be winning every tournament so much as improving, right? Doing better and better as the year goes on. Uh, how have let's talk specifically about Solifida because they have Zazel, they have Apollo. We've spoken about them. Uh, what do you feel like the 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 potential of this team is and how much they can accomplish over the course of the year. I think uh, for us specifically, I mean, some of those players should just be in academy. Uh, we yeah. can talk, we can speak about how Sulafide is maybe a washed up super team, even though I don't necessarily agree. I think that's a good meme title, but I think uh, when you look at the players like Barrage, uh, Winter, obviously, uh, he stands out to me as like a good in-game leader, likely deserves another shot at some point at academy. Uh, fanatic. I mean, this dude's 19 years old. And how is he? How is he an amateur man? Man, like it's, 19 it's going on 28. Like this dude's mm -hmm. crazy. Like uh, really good early game pathing. I really want the meta to shift around to the more dueling junglers, so we can see him style on people like he did uh, 2020 spring, where uh, before the 10.3 changes hit, uh, where people were just spamming Trundle and stuff and listen. Man, he was so good. Uh, uh, APA, really young, great midliner, uh, top laner, high kick lord, maybe a little bit of a weaker point, at least for me on that roster, but still good, likely still deserving of a shot. Uh, at some just point in Orca, mm -hmm. what do you say? It just depends on what which side of the coin you flip with, uh, with BCL, right? <laughs> I can't lie. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, Gorica probably didn't really deserve to be out of academy either. I mean, one split, oh. that's the only shot he gets. I don't know. I, I think Gorka has been the, like the best performing player on that team so far. On um, he he has been, I know that he only played four champions and one of them, Vayne, he only played once in the semis throughout Risen. But like, I mean, his Kaisa play, his Samira play in a Kaisa, he is he's a fantastic player. Um, and I was really surprised to see him and Fnatic down here, especially. But I think that roster's doing really well for Solafide specifically i mean i think that given the investment they're putting into the scene uh and the pedigree of players they have nothing but winning everything is acceptable for them right 
Um, I think nothing but placing top four in proving grounds is acceptable for them once we get to the top 16. Um, that said, I'm curious to see because I know that like one of the appeals of those players playing in amateur is the fact that if things go wrong in academy or LCS, they can plug and play, right? I don't know exactly what their contracts look like, but they aren't getting locked up for the entire year like you would in academy. So I'm I'm actually really curious to see if that roster is going to stick around for every single tournament. I want it to stick around for every tournament. I think that they make the scene fun. They kind of came out as a bit of the villains. I actually got the chance to speak with a lot of their management. They have a really talented team of people around this team, and they're making an investment that is probably greater than every other roster that we have in amateur combined. So I I think that them doing well uh, will help the scene as a whole. I think them being around helps the scene as a whole. They are not just scrimming academy teams anymore after their experience with some of the teams in amateur as well, which I think is important to note too. Uh, and so I think having them here like helps the development, um, but nothing except winning is acceptable for them. They, they, they have to win everything with the pedigree they have. I agree. I would put forward the paradigm that maybe a few members in the Solo Fide, uh deserve to be in uh, amateur. Like maybe they actually were meritocratically demoted to amateur, but I would put forward that uh, what we're seeing on Barrage, you know, there are a few players that are unlucky and there are a few players that I think uh, may have been meritocratically down, uh, demoted before but are making the case or have made the case in last seasons of amateur that they are more than capable of still competing at that academy level. And uh, so just have to prove that also. Yeah, it's interesting looking at these teams and trying to determine or, or read from the outside, like, why is this player an amateur when this player went up to academy or, or stuff like that? Uh, and I think one of the angles on that you have to take is, you know, team LCS orgs sometimes will bring a player into academy who is maybe not playing at the same level as some of the other options that are in amateur, but that they think six months from now, nine months from now will be better or can be better that they have, more, yeah. you know, undiscovered potential that, that hasn't been developed into them yet. And the other side of this is, I think we saw a huge rush of specifically oceanic players, right. With the, with the dissolution of the OPL and, and making those players considered domestic NNA, you brought in all these players from the OPL partly because um, I, I think you could apply a little bit of the same lens to them too. Not to say that these players don't deserve it or aren't better than some of the amateur players who they might've displaced or like pushed down from Academy into amateur. But I think there's a little bit of a rush on let's get all the best OPL players that we can, because suddenly they're all available. We don't want to miss out. And in some cases, I'm also curious uh, over the course of the year, or maybe going, maybe it won't be until going into next year, if some of the the kind of homegrown, more NA based players end up reclaiming some of those spots that were given up to the the Oceanic kind of influx, the the second Oceanic influx. Yeah, had. I think that this is actually a really interesting season of amateur for a, like a couple reasons. One, we have proving grounds now, uh, and we have teams with a lot of pedigree competing in proving grounds. Uh, we also have OS players playing in proving grounds, right? Uh, Maryville looking damn good with chippies in the top lane uh, already, right? But also, I think one of the reasons that we saw a lot of people promoted, it was a very talented class in SGC um, that we had of, like, of prospects, I'd say. But also, you know, keep in mind that half the teams in the league are backed by NBA orgs, and they lost a lot of revenue. This wasn't a season where we could just import and be like, all right, you know what? We know these teams are like these players are good. Let's plug and play, you know, them into our team and see what happens. Obviously, some of that ha happened. We have Elfari who came over to NA and is already looking very strong as he did in EU, right? Um, but a lot of teams were forced to go with more developmental rosters. Uh, Exhibit A, obviously, being Golden Guardians, who 
have Niles and Iconic fresh out of scouting grounds playing on the LCS stage. Um, we have Oss coming on over. Uh, that's a great influx of talent. I know from talking with Zoo, who ran uh, in houses for like just four collegiate people, and I had a couple of my players at Miami participate. He said the Oss players were crazy impressive in those in houses that he was able to pull off. Um, but I think that. This, this season, LCS was forced to go for a more developmental route just because budgets were lower. Um, there was some talent there. I think that COVID actually kind of kind of helped the fact that players, you know, some players lost opportunities and all of a sudden they find themselves back in amateur. I know I'm actually exhibit A <laughs> uh, of that, right? Uh, and so I, I think that it's, it's, it's going to be a really interesting season just to see what happens when Proving Grounds takes place because we have a, some really talented amateur teams a lot of academy teams that had to go with a lot of young talent from last year. And we're going to see them like clash and see, you know, which managements made the right decisions and which ones did it. Uh, and that's really the motivation from talking with a lot of these amateur teams behind playing is that they want to prove that they should have been on academy rosters. Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, from my perspective, watching just the first week of academy play last week, I felt kind of okay about it. I think I actually yeah. tweeted that, that I thought, you know, it was going to be kind of tough for amateur teams to take down the academy teams once it, once it got into Proving Grounds. But I started getting some feedback pretty much right away after tweeting that, that, uh, there, you know, no names given, but some amateur teams that are taking games off of academy teams, you mm -hmm. know, quite a few games in scrims. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely interested to see how that works out. Scrims and stage is completely different, right? But, but, uh, and, and that's one thing that you hope that the players who have more experience in academy and so on have gained from that is, is the ability to perform under under pressure and that's why you need mm -hmm. to get that experience of competing against them for the amateur players but uh but uh, that's definitely something that that is the most exciting about this new format is seeing whether these amateur teams both the ones that are made up of more experienced players or like amateur mainstays but also the ones of the brand new players who can hopefully be coached into coming in here without any fear um and see if they can take down some of these academy teams with really very little to lose and a lot to prove uh i'm really looking forward to that quick predictions from you guys so the top four of Risen were Solafide, EG Prodigies, Barrage, and a new Blaze. Uh, what do you think the top four finishes of Big League are going to be? Prussian? Uh I think Barrage is an easy one. I think Solafide is probably up there. I would put uh, maybe EG Prodigies. Yeah, I think EG Prodigies is another good bet. Uh, it's between them and a new main. Uh, and one that I think absolutely I'm 100% on is uh, MU Red. Chippies is absolutely crazy. Yeah. Uh, he is one yes. of the players that I wanted to talk about in my OS video. I was going to make a part two OS video. Uh, the ones that I had lined up right away uh, were him and a player called Chaz, who's a mid laner who was on a Blunt Gaming and OS. But Chippies is absolutely crazy. Uh, he's very mechanically good. Um, I really can't say enough good things about him other than. Uh, it, he he repeats a lot of the same things game to game. You can tell what his comfort is. Out of the four teams, I think that there's a clear imposter among those four uh, coming on through, and I'd say that that imposter is a new blaze. Um, I think that team has some talent on it. Um, I think Dark Wings and Raheen are pretty legit players, uh, and they, we haven't talked about them yet, but if we want to talk about like young prospects up and coming... I think that they have to be on your radar um, if, if you're really looking at that. Um, I think Pocket Rhino coming in and getting some competitive experience is good. Prussian, I know that you've worked with him in the past as well uh, with Radiance. Um, 
I don't think they're top four. Uh, and I want to insert Maryville right there too. I now I know that um, I know that Maryville. Like I think that one of the reasons they beat Solfide, like let's let's also take into account that Maryville has a, a very large and competent staff uh, that are good at their jobs, and they had two weeks of free footage to go off of, whereas Solfide were going in blind. Um, let's let's not forget this is Maryville is two owing people. That said. Uh, they're a good team, and they've proven time and time again they are a good team. They finished top three of SGC last split, obviously with Niles a different roster, but still it's the same staff behind it. Um, they have two out of the, out of the five players from that roster on this one. Um, I think Maryville is a, a, a top four, top five team instantly, um, and I think that there is a clear difference for me between the the best five teams in amateur or the best six teams in amateur and the rest of the pack. Uh, there, there, there's definitely a big gap. Yeah, going to be fascinating to see uh, if, if those predictions come true or not. So I want to wrap things up with uh, a couple of questions here that were that were sent in. Uh, first question is, uh, what do you guys think about the fact that uh, so Anu came into Risen with these three tournament or three teams rather? They had their main team, and they also had Blaze, and then they have their their kind of developmental team. I guess you'd call it. It's called Genesis right now. Uh, what are your thoughts on on so many changes happening to those rosters like immediately after the first tournament or even a little bit before the first tournament was finished? I mean, like the tempo situation like kind of caused a toppling effect throughout the league, right? Um, I think that for Blaze, bringing in Pocket Rhino is actually a great pickup. Uh, the guys showed nothing but mechanical prowess and is very rough around the edges for being a competitive support, but... Um, I mean, throw him in the same boat as Busio, right? We know what he can do in lane. Let's see, you know, how well he can get out of lane. Um, and really big meme is actually someone that we used to scrim against all the time um, because he came from Michigan State's roster, I believe, in collegiate. Um, they used to be scrim partners for us at Miami. Me and Coach Haytham, who now works at TSM, uh, he's got like a crazy pocket Kha'Zix. I, I, I don't think that he's as talented as... Some of the other junglers in the league, but he's not like he's not like a bad plug and play coming on through. Um, and any roster that has a lorem on it is going to learn a lot. Um, Genesis, they pretty much just took Conviction's roster, so that's yeah, that's that's all I'll say. Uh, I will say I think uh, Scott Pocket Rhino, uh, humongous W for uh, a new Blizz. Yes. Uh, love Scott. I think that he definitely excels at that area. I was uh, talking about previously where I think he has a very good idea of uh, how to get out of lane and where to go and how to create timers uh, to roam and coordinating with his team. So very good for Scott. Uh, for a new Genesis, I think, uh, you know, biggest strength they have is a immaculate coaching staff behind them. So tremendous W for a new Genesis. Uh, good work. So do you guys feel like these changes were, were mostly prompted just by like a domino effect of a change happened somewhere else and now we're going to replace that and while we're replacing this, we might as well do that? Or or how much of it, was was it more that or was it more performance driven? Like, hey, we think we need to make a change so we can level up our team. Uh, I know Blaze, I don't know how much Shiazuri leaving uh, made part of the team go separate ways, but I know uh, with Lean K slash Seti Witty, I know he wanted to go to a different team uh, with his friends, which are Robex and Papa Chow. Um, and I think Breezy just took the opportunity with Cloud9. Uh, yeah, so. I mean, why, why wouldn't you if you're Breezy, right? Yeah, precisely. 
Yeah, it's it's a great opportunity for Breezy, who's definitely a very talented player and deserves it. Um, I I think it, it's a domino effect, and then for a new Genesis, it's like a new was like, huh, our third team won. Boom, let's get another third team, and yeah. then that's that's how that happened. Yeah. So um, also speaking on the City Witty or uh, Links or uh, Rovex Chow roster. Um, they can definitely take some games off of, uh, they can definitely push their way into a decent position in amateur if they get a little bit lucky. I don't know what group they fell in. The big league groups are, whew, that's, that's a different story. But if, if, if they got a good group, they might actually be able to like push to get some decent amount of scouting grounds points. Uh, and then we'll see what happens when cup comes around for them too. I agree. That's a really underrated roster. Shout out Novabot. Sorry, just want to put that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, one last question that I want to bring up: How important do you guys think it is, or how I guess how valuable do you think it is, especially when we're talking about these developmental rosters, to have a player on the team who's been around a little longer, has a little more experience, maybe has been coached more at a higher level, um, for having the rest of the players get developed. So like. An example of this would be like having a Lorem on 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 a new Blaze, or having, you know, when uh, when Hooks, who was under playing under the name Auto at that point, was playing mm-hmm. uh, with Hunter Thieves Next last year, and had you know had some academy experience and so on. Do you think that's something that, especially kind of the LCS back teams that are more development focused, should be intentionally building into their rosters, or should they just go for like the most you know five most untapped talent players they can find? Um, I, I think that if you want better results, having an in-game leader would help. Um, I mean, I, I know I can speak more on the like auto hooks, um, because that roster originally would, when it had Poom, um, like once Poom left and got promoted, um, hundred thieves were like, well, we still want to keep Osama like, uh, auto slash hooks around. Right. Because um, he, like, he's a great leader, but they also wanted yawn. Um, and so they, they roll swapped and, was hooks the best mechanical support that we had in SGC? No. Uh, you ask anyone about what Osama brings to the team, they will write you uh, an essay about how good of a teammate, how good of an in-game leader he is, uh, and how like he and him and Fallen Bandit as well had worked together previously on CLG. I think for for I don't know how many years, but like they like them as a duo, like they played in Academy. Um, they were now like working with a team here. I think that that had a huge impact on the development of those young players coming on through. Um, and my like any every single interaction I've had with like Osama, I mean he's he's just the nicest guy, um, and I think it's it speaks so much to him that he was picked up by the same org at a different role, um, like after like a year gap, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that he is a great success of like what can happen in amateur when a player that, you know, like comes back down and then works their way back up, which we're seeing a lot of players trying to do this year. Um, just given the fact there's more resources. So uh, I, I think that that's like definitely exhibit A um, and definitely helps. I know that EGP um, Mist has a lot more experience under his belt than a lot of the other players on that roster, uh, whereas Tomio and Shiro are 17. Uh, shout out to Ido <laughs> for, for uh, the, the, the info on that. Um, I think that having a veteran voice in game definitely helps with performance, but there are also other ways that you can get that outside of game, right? I mean, like having mm-hmm. Fallen Bandit and Golden Glue in your back pocket, That's that's... It helps a ton as well, right? There's no one's more journeyed in the LCS than Golden Glue. Uh, and so I, I think, I don't know what, what he's like as a coach. Obviously, this is his first stint, and he's working with the academy team primarily. Uh, but hey, having that resource as well out of game, not going to help as much in game, but overall development can definitely help. Yeah, and uh, I guess, impression, 
the angle that that I think is really interesting. In this is you know there's the in-game kind of leadership part and all of that, but there's also just the the ability to teach, right? The ability to help with long-term development of the player and, and helping them learn new concepts and things like that. And, and how much, how much of a factor do you think that is in having say a four fresh rookies plus one, you know, semi-veteran player versus the five fresh rookies kind of set up? I think um, it's important to have one player be more experienced or maybe the leader. It doesn't necessarily have to be someone with Academy or LCS experience. I think that might be a little bit of a misconception. Uh, furthermore, I think just because you are an Academy or LCS, does not mean that you're an in-game leader or you're capable of fulfilling that role in a team. Uh, I respect Otto a lot because he was someone who was willing to put aside his ego and think to himself, this is my job and this is the niche I have to fill. And that's going to make these four players better. And yeah. it's the sacrifice I have to take because even though I want to play an academy and I want to get promoted, I have to put aside my ego and do what's best for everyone. And I think that it takes that kind of selfless uh, personality to fulfill that sort of role. And yeah. I think, especially in League of Legends, it's not really a game that uh, makes those kind of people stick around for very long. Yeah, and I'm really happy that it worked out for him, too. Um, and obviously it worked out for the team as well, because Jan was, like, once again, I think the copy effect applied to Jan as well, because he was just, like, weak side on that team. But I, he's a really, really young, talented player as well that is going to show up in Academy big time. Yeah, I'm, I'm finding it fascinating on the academy level how even just one week in, the Yon Ayla pairing feels so much like the tactical core JJ pairing. <laughs> just of, of like this like very very skilled and you know more experienced support player bringing the bot yeah. laner along and going like, we're going to go in and do this. Come on with me. I mean, and we're, yeah, you know, I mean, also ride. like having core on that roster too, like looking at the in-houses, I mean, they play, they play a yeah. lot together as well, like Yon and core, right? So that's... Uh, Obviously, a, a good relationship there for the organization that those bot laners are working together. Um, and that bot lane in LCS is pretty damn good, too. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll see how long it takes for, for Tactical to be sold for $8 million so they can promote Yon behind him. And yeah, really. just go yeah. through that. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you very much for joining me on the show today, guys. Uh, Cubby, what's the best way for people to follow your work? Uh, yeah. Uh, first off, thanks for having us, Tim. This was really fun. Uh, I get to sit down and talk with you as well. Um, best way to follow my work is on Twitter, which is right below, uh, at CubbyXX. And then, uh, I also do a podcast as well with one of my other co-casters, Smacks, where we just sit down and talk with players, uh, for hour to 90 minutes. So if you're interested in that on Twitter, it is P grounds pod where the proving grounds pod, uh, and just trying to help players get their stories out because, uh, it's important to brand players to move up to the next level. And that's kind of our goal. So we've had some good conversations and drop episodes every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern now because we have to change the time because Academy schedule is now set. So, yeah. Great. I'll make sure that links for that are in the show notes. And for yourself, Prussian, how can people follow what you're working on? Uh, you can follow me on my Twitter. I post all my uh, links to all my content there. Alternatively, you can check out my YouTube channel, uh, which is, uh, I think, the... I got a custom link now because I got subscribers. So, uh, Prussian Law on, on the YouTube link. Uh, and that should be a new video tomorrow. I just remembered. So I'm excited for that one. Go go awesome. sub the Prussians channel. All the casters use it for prep, and it's super smurf. Uh, it's really good stuff. Yeah. Cool. 
You can support the True Sight podcast at patreon.com slash oraclescelixir. You can subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, as well as anchor.fm slash truesight. And make sure you check out the Oracle's Elixir Discord server to talk about League of Legends esports, data science, and a lot more. This has been the True Sight podcast with Cubby and Prussian, and I'm Tim Sevenhusen. Thanks for listening.